five minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nahum Siegel. Welcome to a Friday, Erev Shabbos. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program.
Thank <laughs> you. 
שהם משתחווים לאבל בריק ומתפללים אל אלוהי הושיע ואנחנו קוראים, משתחווים ומודים לפני מלך מלכי המלכים די 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 הקדוש ברוך
Shana, 
J.M. in the A.M. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos. Asar Bateves. Good morning, all. Uh, Derech Achim with Mayim Rabim. Uh, you heard uh, Yaakov Shweki's Ma'min Bini Sim. Enod Milvado, that was Mordechai Ben David by request. Yitzchak Fuchs with Aleinu, Rise Up, that was Simcha Liner. Uh, Melech Ozer, Chaim Yisrael, and of course, Regesh. Modani opening things up, and we say good morning. It's Friday on this December the 25th, day number 10 in the month of Teves. Today is Asar Bateves 5781. Again, Asar Bateves 5781. And as our uh, friends at Jewish Calendar Tidbits uh, reminded everybody, let's see here if we could find a uh, an exact tweet. Uh, Friday is 10 Tevet, fast day. Fast ends at Kiddush, not before 5.20 p.m. in the New York City area. Anenu, 
Slichot, Avinu Malkenu, Vayichal. Those are all said this morning. At Mincha, there's no Avinu Malkenu and no Tachanun, because uh, Mincha will be, of course, uh, Erev Shabbos. There is Laini at Mincha and Ahavtorah at Mincha, but um, there's no Avinu Malkenu and no Tachanun. So it's a Sarbateves today. It's a fast day in New York. It'll go until, well, everywhere in the world, it'll go until Kiddush. Uh, in New York, the recommendation is not to say Kiddush before 5.20 p.m. So that's about, uh, well, just under 11 hours from now. 5.20 p.m. Candle lighting. A lot of people are going to be davening mincha in the early part of the afternoon, whether it's, uh, I don't know, 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock, etc. Some will be davening mincha right before Shabbos. So be wary of uh, getting to shul on time if you are one of those who's davening mincha right before Shabbos. Uh, candle lighting time officially at 4.14. Officially, candle lighting time in New York is 4.14. Make sure you know when things start where you are. 57 degrees with 90.1% humidity. Winds are south at 10 miles per hour. Showers today with a high of 57. Then tonight, that temperature drops like a rock. <laughs> Partly cloudy and a low of 28 degrees. Wow. Sunshine tomorrow for Shabbos, a high. Of 35. Yushalayim is at 58. We're at 57 here in New York as we say good morning on a Sarabateves morning. It is a fast day. It ends with Kiddush. It's a strange, unusual Friday fast here at uh, JM and the AM and uh, the Nahum Siegel Network. I want to go to the app for a second. I saw a couple of comments I wanted to mention. Feel free to comment on the app. Go to the NSN, Nahum Siegel Network app for Android and iPhone and comment away. Uh, so one listener says, good Shabbos, Nachum, to you and your family from Oak Park, California. I need to know, listener Mensch, because the word Mensch is in his screen name. I need to know, are you up listening to us at 3 a.m.? That's unbelievable. Thank you. Would you kindly play MBD's Anod Milvado? We did that. That's where we got the suggestion from the app. And this listener says, Shabbat Shalom and have a meaningful fast. By the time we end the fast, it'll be Shabbat. It certainly will. Very unusual. That is true. That's Yitzchak in Kemp Mill, Maryland. We say hi to Yitzchak, wish him an easy fast, and a Shabbat Shalom from all of us here at JM in the AM. Plenty to do. It's Friday after all. Uh, Jake Novak's going to join us. Malcolm Holmline has the day off. Jake Novak's going to join us. We'll talk about uh, a whole bunch of stuff going on in this amazing world of ours. And uh, that'll be at about, uh, probably about uh, 10 minutes before 8 o'clock Eastern time. Rabbi Yudin, of course, Harry Rothenberg all with words about the Parsha's Vayigash on this era of Shabbos, and plenty more if you keep it right here at JM in the AM. Meanwhile, Arye Kunstler at JM in the AM. Shalom Aleinu, O Yavoh 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 Oh, 
peace in the world. Everybody's praying for peace in the world. Peace in the world. Peace in the world. Everybody's praying for peace in the world. Peace in the world. Peace in the world. Everybody's praying for peace in the world. Peace in the world. Peace in the world.
מדוע אתם שותקים? מדוע אתם שותקים, רבותיי? מה אתם מחכים? מוכנים? רוצה להקדיש את השיר. To the best soldiers in the world. חיילי צה"ל. Thank 
שבעת ימים אותו קראת זכר זכר למעשה בראשית חמדת ימים אותו קראת זכר זכר למעשה בראשית חמדת ימים אותו קראת זכר זכר למעשה בראשית חמדת ימים אותו קראת חמדת ימים A segment from the Amudim event this past uh, week. Holy Brothers, uh, Holy Brothers together singing some amazing Shabbos selections here at JM in the AM. Uh, before that, you heard Eighth Day with D. Dunn, Misha Beirach, Dan Bayakov, Shweki, Shlomo Kalbach, Zuvoa, Ovdim, Salam. That was Aryeh Kunzler. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos. This is America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program heard on listener-sponsored digital radio, around the world, the web, and NachumSiegel.com, on the NachumSiegel Network, and, of course, on the beloved NSN app. We've got um, Galei Tzal in the background. We'll do our news from Israel coming up. It's Asar Bateves. Today is a fast day. It ends at Kiddush, New York area. That's 5.20 p.m. Again, Asar Bateves happening right now. A fast day ends with Kiddush. Today is the uh, universal, for many, it's the universal uh, yard site for those who perished in the Shoah. Asar Bateves has been designated as that day for those who were uh, not known uh, when their day of death was. So keep that in mind. It's Erev Shabbos Parshas Vayigash with candle lighting at 414 in New York on this Erev Shabbos. 414 in New York. Make sure you know when things start where you are. Galitzal in the background. Galitzal Israel Army Radio 2 p.m. newscast coming up next at JMNAM. Galitzal Ashash Time. Shalom Rav Khan El Azar Ben Lolo Im Mashakoreach Shav. ישראל בדרך לסגר שלישי, שרי הממשלה אישרו את ההגבלות על התנועה, המסחר, הבילוי והפנאי לקראת הסגר שייכנס לתוקפו ביום ראשון בשעה חמש אחר הצהריים, ויימשך שבועיים לפחות. בין ההגבלות יציאה מן הבית הותר למרחק קילומטר בלבד, למעט מקרים חריגים כמו יציאה להתחסן, טיפול רפואי או סוציאלי, הפגנה, הליך משפטי, פעילות ספורט, העברת קטין בין הוריו הפרודים, השתתפות בהלוויה, בחתונה או בברית, כפוף למגבלת ההתקהלות. כמו כן תיאסר שהייה בבית אדם אחר, בתי הערכה והגנים הלאומיים ייסגרו והאיים הירוקים יבוטלו. המסעדות תפעלנה במתכונת משלוחים בלבד. מערכת החינוך תפעל כסדרה בגילי הגן, כיתות א' עד ד' וכן כיתות י"א עד י"ב. ועדת החינוך בכנסת תתכנס בראשון בבוקר לדיון על תקנות החינוך. לפי הערכת בנק ישראל, העלות הישירה של הסגר השלישי נאמדת בשני מיליארד שקלים וחצי לשבוע. ידיעה שריכזו כתבנו מוריה אסרה וולברג, ניתאי הנבי ודורון קדוש.
ובתוך כך משרד הבריאות עדכן הבוקר כי 3,958 נדבקים חדשים אובחנו ביממה החולפת, שיא מאז הסגר השני. כתבנו לענייני בריאות יובל שגב מוסר כי היישובים איכסל, איבלין, כפר מנדה, אפרת ורכסים הפכו לאדומים וכן כפר קרא, קריית מלאכי, רמלה, תל מונד, נתיבות, זיכרון יעקב, גני תקווה ותל אביב הפכו לכתומות. ערב הסגר השלישי, עלייה של יותר מ-12% ברכישות בקניונים וברשתות השיווק ביחס לסוף השבוע שעבר. לפי נתוני שווה, שירות בנק אוטומטיים, בין השעות 9 בבוקר ל-12 בצהריים ביצעו הישראלים עסקאות בשווי למעלה מ-360 מיליון שקלים. כתבתנו לענייני צרכנות עינב קרנר מוסרת כי אתמול נרשמה עלייה של כמעט 15% לעומת יום חמישי בשבוע שעבר. עובדת מזנון הכנסת שבאה במגע עם כלל חברי הכנסת במליאה אובחנה היום כחיובית לנגיף קורונה. העובדת שהתה במשכן עד יום שני. כל חברי הכנסת ועובדיה שפגשו בה התבקשו להישאר בביתם ולא להגיע לעבודה עד לקבלת הנחיות ממשרד הבריאות. ידיעה שמסר כתבנו בכנסת יניר קוזין. נשיא טורקיה ארדואן הצהיר היום כי מדינתו מעוניינת בשיפור היחסים עם ישראל. טורקיה ממשיכה בשיתוף הפעולה המודיעיני עם ישראל, אמר בשיחה עם כתבים מקומיים באיסטנבול לאחר תפילת יום השישי. עם זאת הבהיר נשיא טורקיה כי מדיניות ישראל כלפי הפלסטינים אינה מקובלת, וכי הבעיה היא עם האנשים שנמצאים בראש הפירמידה במדינה. כך ארדואן מדבריו הביא הכתבת חדשות החוץ, עמלי חביב פרגון. מזג האוויר מעונן חלקית עד בהיר, תחול עלייה קלה בטמפרטורות. לידיעת הנהגים, עומס תנועה כבד נרשם בכביש 6, מחלף סורק לדרום, בעקבות תאונת דרכים. הציבור מתבקש לנסוע בדרכים חלופיות. ואלה זמני כניסת השבת, פרשת ויגש. בירושלים ב-4 ו-2 דקות, בתל אביב תיכנס השבת ב-4.23, בחיפה ב-4.10, ובבאר שבע תיכנס השבת ב-4.25. ואלה זמני צאת השבת מחר, בירושלים ב-5.22, בתל אביב ב-5.23, בחיפה ב-5.21, ומבאר שבע תצא השבת ב-5.25. לכל מאזיננו, שבת שלום, אלה החדשות. Thank you. 
Nine minutes after the hour, Friday morning, Erev Shabbos, on this Erev Shabbos Parshas Vayigash. It's Asar Bateves. Today is a fast day, everybody. Ends with Kiddush, which means in this area, after 5.20 p.m., after 5.20 in the New York area. Uh, what did I just see on the on the app comments from GZ Settler? Givat Zev is very red. We are now the third worst yeshuv in Israel for Corona. We are famous, LOL. Oh, wow. What a thing to be famous for. Stay safe, brothers and sisters in Israel. I know that the 
lockdown is imminent, and hopefully this will be the last one. It won't last long. Hopefully, hopefully, hopefully. Uh, Harry Rothenberg has words regarding the uh, Parsha of the Week. Vayigash, here he is at JM in the AM. Last week's total portion ended with a cliffhanger. His brothers still do not realize that Yosef, Joseph, is the prime minister of Egypt. He frames them by having his goblet hidden in one of their bags, sends his servant out to detain and accuse them. Their bags are searched, and sure enough, the goblet is found in the bag of the youngest brother, Benjamin, in Yemen. They come back to Yosef, who accuses them. And rather than arguing, claiming that they were framed maybe by someone in the palace, maybe by the, the jester, Yehuda, the leader of the brothers, speaking on behalf of all of them, says words that are such an iconic admission of guilt that we borrow them and say them twice a week in our morning prayers. He says, what can we say, my Lord? How can we speak? How can we justify ourselves? And he continues, God has uncovered the sin of your servants. We'll all be your slaves, both the one in whose bag the goblet was found and all of the rest of us. The prime minister, Yosef, says back to him, no, only the culprit will be my slave. The total portion ends. And then we begin this week, and there's a sea change. Yehuda approaches Yosef. Can I have a word with you, sir? If you look at what he says, it looks like he's just making an appeal to Yosef's sense of fairness and to his emotions. But the commentators say that there's an important subtext. He's threatening him. If you don't let little bro go, we're going to war. I'm laying down the gauntlet. We will take on you and Pharaoh and the whole country. What happened? Why was Yehuda so willing to accept the punishment when they were all going to be slaves, or so he thought, and now when the prime minister reduces the punishment to just one of them being a slave, he's ready to fight? Perhaps the explanation is this. When bad things happen to us, we're supposed to stop and think and introspect, take stock of our actions and consider, maybe God's sending me a message. Maybe it's a consequence of something that I did. Maybe I've got to repent my misdeeds and figure out how to improve. And that's what Yehuda was doing. When he realized that it looks like they're all going to be slaves, he says, it's obviously from God. We're being punished for our misdeed of all those years ago when we sold our brother Yosef as a slave, even though he was innocent. And now the punishment is so exquisitely planned by God. Because think about it, not only are we becoming slaves, but Benjamin, Benjamin, who did absolutely nothing wrong, wasn't part of the original sale, he's also going to be a slave. So we're going to see what it's like for an innocent person to become enslaved as a result of our misdeeds. Just like way back during the sale of Yosef, an innocent person was sent to slavery due to our mistake, our transgression. But then when the prime minister reduces the punishment, says, oh, no, no, no. I just want Binyamin as a slave. Yehuda instantly pivots and realizes that's not a message from God. Binyamin didn't do anything wrong. He wasn't involved in the original sale. That makes no sense. In that case, we're going to fight. See some very important lessons from this. First, how you have to try to suss out what is God possibly trying to say to me? And how can I improve if I take that lesson to heart? However, once you realize that you're in a situation where God has left the building, you're in a place where you don't belong, or with people with whom you shouldn't associate, trying to talk you into doing something that you shouldn't be doing, or talk you out of something that you should be doing, you've got to realize that it's time to get out of Dodge. 
God's not there and he doesn't want you there and you've got to leave. And finally, you have to realize that although it's very important to try to always look for God's presence and recognize his absence and get out of there when he's not there, when you're making that determination and thinking about what God might be telling you, realize that at best, it's a maybe. You can't ever be presumptuous or arrogant enough to think that you've got it figured out. I know what God's doing here and I know why he's doing it. Maybe you're right, maybe you're not. So take the lessons, try to improve, but realize man plans, God laughs. God plans, man ponders and tries to figure out, hopefully, how to improve.
Pretty good, huh? Oh, yes. Mim Komchasim Chaliner, JM in the AM. Before that, Harry Rothenberg with words about Parshas Vayigash. It's a Sarah Bateve's morning. It's a fast day, and I hope your fast is a meaningful one. Ends with Kiddush later on today. Uh, Kiddush after 520 in the New York area. Candle lighting officially 414 on this era of Shabbos Parshas Vayigash. 414 officially. This portion of NSN programming brought to you by our friends at A&H. Abel's and Hyman makes traditional kosher delicacies, pastrami, corned beef, salami, and more. Old world classics, beef fry, kishka, and more. And modern, better for you kosher products, including no nitrate added, reduced fat, and reduced sodium hot dogs, plus many other unique items. Visit the website at kosherdogs.net. Enjoy a 10% discount with promo code radio and try A&H today. Our friends at Partners in Torah are encouraging everybody to reconnect or connect to um, our tradition and heritage. Become a mentor or student under the Partners in Torah umbrella. You will find it to be a life-changing experience, a life-enhancing experience. And those of you out there who have um, convinced yourselves that you couldn't be a mentor, that you don't know enough, that you've been out of the realm of Torah study for too long, trust me, you are fooling yourself. Call Partners in Torah at 1-800-STUDY-42, 1-800-STUDY, the number 4 and then the number two, or go to partnersintorah.org, partnersintorah.org, become a partner or a mentor, and have a life-changing experience. You'll be glad you did it, that I could tell you. A, a special special hello to our friends at Aaron's Casino Farms and uh, Aaron's West Orange. Aaron's Casino Farms, located in Queens, New York, casinofarms.com. Aaron's West Orange, located in New Jersey, aaronswestorange.com. Both stores, remarkable shopping experiences with everything you'd need and everything you want under one roof. A lot of different departments, a lot of choices, a lot of variety, and an amazing way to uh, prepare for your Shabbos, especially as everyone's going to be pretty hungry tonight as Asar Bateves comes to an end. So you need delicious baked goods and deli. You need uh, wonderful um, uh, sushi and other items. It's all available. Go to Aaron's Casino Farms in Queens. Go to Aaron's West Orange in New Jersey and enjoy a great shopping experience. Make sure to sign up. You'll see it online at casinofarms.com and aaronswestorange.com. Sign up for the weekly email so you have all the specials and all the bargains that Aaron's is offering 
it's a uh, it's a great way to walk into the store knowing just how many things are available at amazing and incredible prices. Aaron's Casino Farms, CasinoFarms.com, and Aaron's West Orange, Aaron's West Orange.com. And I'm going to wish Aaron and his wife and Eliezer a very, very big mazel tov on the big bar mitzvah celebration this Shabbat. Mazel tov from all of us here at JM in the AM. 23 minutes after 7 o'clock, we're going to continue with um, uh, this selection from Joey Newcomb. And let me mention that our friends at um, Women's League Makar Disability Services, they have their big event coming up January the 3rd and January the 4th, as you know. And on the 3rd itself, literally smack in the middle of the campaign, I'll be leading the big Sunday night event, uh, which will give us an opportunity to meet some of the people who are uh, big fans of Women's League Makar. And will give us an opportunity to encourage everybody to give, 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 and support a great organization. It has been announced, and we said this earlier in the week, that both Benny Friedman and Joey Newcomb are going to be part of the evening that evening with the Freyla Orchestra. So Benny Friedman and Joey Newcomb are part of the lineup, part of the entertainment, and here is Joey Newcomb at JM in the AM. Kulano. Kulano, Bnei Amele, 
Song written by Aryeh Kunstler, introduced at the uh, Unite to Heal event with Amudim this week, and then we had uh, Aryeh do it live Tuesday morning in an unplugged version for us at Gotta Get a Bagel when we did our Giving Tuesday show this past Tuesday. Was that just this past Tuesday? Wow, hard to believe. Uh, it's a Sarabateve's morning at JM in the AM before the uh, piece by Benny Friedman and Aryeh Kunstler. You heard Joey Newcomb, Benay Hamelech. Remember, he is part of the Makor Women's League Makor uh, event coming up on January the 3rd. And fourth, we're encouraging everybody to uh, support Women's League Makor, help make the difference in the lives of so many um, that uh, Women's League in Makor has done over the last many, many decades. They've really helped people uh, with uh, disabilities. They've helped people who are in the need of a group home. And uh, we get to expand on all this and uh, discuss it all on Sunday night, the 3rd of January, uh, when we are with Makar for their big fundraiser, charity.com slash Makar, charity.com slash Makar. So again, those of you who are familiar with the work that Women's League Makar has done over the years, get ready. We're going to have an opportunity to support them, and we have an opportunity to have Benny Friedman and um, and Arye Kunz, and Benny Friedman and Joey Newcomb, Benny Friedman and Joey Newcomb together 
on the uh, on the show uh, the 3rd of January. You can go to the website for information, mycorddisabilityservices.org, mycorddisabilityservices.org. Our friends at ArtScroll remind you that everything is now 10% off, no minimum free shipping when you use promo code radio. ArtScroll with over 3,000 titles. That's right. You heard me correctly. 3,000 titles on the website. Go to artscroll.com, 10% off, no minimum, free shipping when you use promo code radio. Simple as that. Go to artscroll.com. No details necessary. The only detail you need is to use promo code radio. That's it. Always make sure to use promo code radio. You'll be glad you did. That's for sure. Malcolm Honeline not able to join us here at the JMNAM today. He has the day off. Uh, we will um, uh, we will introduce Jake Novak about 15 minutes from now, go through some of the events of the week with him uh, coming up here at JM in the AM. It's a Sarabatebe's morning, candle lighting at 414 in New York. Tarif Shabbos Parshas Vayigash. The fast actually ends with Kiddush sometime after 520 in the uh, New York area. So keep that in mind. Keep that in mind for sure. Um, trying to see what else I have to remind everybody about. Oh, I wanted to um I wanted to remind you about what's going on with um shopeichlers.com. We were talking about the website and uh, how they had this uh, special offer. And I'd like everyone out there to um to be aware of it. Um When you go to um When you go to shopeichlers.com, remember that they have a uh, a unique service that has set them apart from what seems to be everybody, and that is same-day delivery. Borough Park, Flatbush, Williamsburg, Crown Heights, Staten Island, Queens, Five Towns, Far Rockaway, Muncie, Monroe, Teaneck, Lakewood, Toms River, Jackson. Same-day delivery. Details at shopeichlers.com. Again, details at shopeichlers.com. Also be aware of the fact that this week... The uh, iKeepas, all of the iKeepas, are on sale, 20% off. Now, some of you may think, I mean, is there a selection? How many could be uh, in a category of iKeepas? Like how many how many uh, yarmulkes are under that brand name? Check out the site. Check out the site. There are over 150. Yeah, and there's a lot there with great selections, a lot of dignified, beautiful keepote, a lot of really fun keepote. Uh, you'll see it there. So it's a 20% off on all iKeepas at shopbyclose.com. Take advantage of their same-day delivery and take advantage of all their great service. Go to shopbyclose.com and enjoy. A Sarabateves morning here at JM in the AM. That's right. It's a fast day that ends with uh, with Kiddish later on. Candle lighting in New York is 414, Kiddish after 520. And uh, don't forget that Mincha today, just like Shacharis, will have laning. I think Rabbi Heber said last week it's the only time we lane three Fridays in a row, right? I think he said that, if I'm not mistaken. So there you go. Three Fridays in a row of laning. Two Hanukkah and then the Tadea Sarabateves on a uh, Friday. So put that in the trivia bank. Mention that at your Erev Shabbos. Excuse me. Mention that at your Shabbos. Ta- there is no Erev Shabbos table today. <laughs> Mention that at your Shabbos table later on tonight. After all, why not? More coming up. It's Friday. It's JM in the AM.
לקראת שבוס לכי ונאי לכו, כי היא מקוירה ברוחו. מי רויש מקדם נסיכו, סויף מעשה במחשבות
If I seem a little distant With a twinkle in my eye There's a very special reason You will find Today is on a Tuesday And the kids learn olive base And you know that I got Shabbos On my mind Yes, I walk against the many As they're groping in the night And I've tried to share the Torah in a rhyme And the boys are now bar mitzvah And Wednesday night is here And you know that I got Shabbos on my mind sees a chuppah and the weather is getting cold and the Torah scroll is turning and we are growing old and the jokers and the scoffers they're running out of time and you know that I got Shabbos yeah you know I got Shabbos on my mind It's a Friday morning sunrise No time to mess around I'm the old man who dovin' right on time And your prayers get more sincere As old friends pass away And you know that I got Shabbos on my mind 
And there is no deception Cause he knows just who you are A hunger to be holy While feeling very far And the jokers and the scoffers They're running out of time And you know that I got Shabbos Yeah, you know I got Shabbos on my mind It's a Friday evening sunset No time to mess around I'm the old man who dovin' right on time And your prayers get more sincere When old friends pass away And you know that I got Shabbos Yeah, you know I got Shabbos You know I got Shabbos on my mind J.M. in the A.M., the great late Moshe, yes Shabbos on my mind I think everybody has Shabbos on their mind today because of the fast day. <laughs> Anybody who's already fasting right now, and I would guess at this point most are, depending on what time zone you're in, everyone's focused on having Shabbos on their mind because the fast will end with Kiddush in the New York area after 5.20 p.m. But yeah, everybody's got Shabbos on their mind. Lipa Schmelzer with Oev Shalom. You heard Shlemy Toysig with Likrat Shabbat. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos on this Asar Bateves. Erev Shabbos Parshas Vayigash with candle lighting at 414. Malcolm Honline not able to join us today, so the weekly update I am hoping will air next on New Year's Day, one week from today. Please, God. I do want to mention that our friends at Jewish World Review, they don't have the day off. No, nope. they're providing thousands of articles on Israel and the Jewish world that you could print out before Shabbos. Go to jewishworldreview.com again jewishworldreview.com and check it out. You'll be glad you did. It's a very comprehensive and interesting website with a lot of unbelievable articles. On Tuesday night, this coming Tuesday night, it's the We Are One event for the One Israel Fund. It'll be online, and uh, I have the honor of hosting it. Elizabeth Savetsky, God Elbaz, Naftali Bennett, Caroline Glick, all part of the program. We'll be honoring guests of honor, Dr. Emma Laskin and Bart Baum, Amichai Luri from Sheila Winery, Rebecca and Gabe Boxer, Gloria and Morris Grobe will be memorialized, and the award will be accepted by the Grobe, Oppenheimer, and Pollock families. And the Adid Yesha awardees are Hannah, Talia, Molly, Isabella, and Ariel, 12th graders at SKA Halb High School for Girls, and they'll be honored that night as well. It's all happening Tuesday night. Uh, if, you, if you missed the conversation with Eve Harrow earlier this week here at JM and the AM, try to catch it, because those of you who think that uh, nothing's being done during corona and everything has stalled, boy, the One Israel Fund is experiencing the exact opposite. So many projects, so many renovations, so many expansions of so many areas, developments, towns, and tourist attractions have been able to be uh, undertaken over the last few months because of the lack of people and the plenty of space available to do so. So... Uh, one Israel Fund needs our help more than ever. Go to oneisraelfund.org slash are one oneisraelfund.org slash one The great political commentator and analyst Jake Novak is with us live via telephone. He, of course, appears at 11 a.m. every Monday with us here at the Nahum Siegel Network. And uh, I am remiss that I waited this long to get Jake on the air. He is honestly one of the people responsible uh, behind the scenes for, us, for the great broadcast that we had from the UAE just to 
weeks ago. Jake Novak, welcome back to JM in the AM. Oh, thank you so much for that kind introduction. And um, obviously, I've uh, congratulate you, congratulated you privately, but let me publicly congratulate you for those broadcasts, not just the idea and the concept and putting it together, but the execution was really fantastic. Uh, really, really uh, hard to stop listening. I couldn't believe how fast the hours went by uh, every morning. <laughs> really, I, when I was listening, it was really impressive. I appreciate that very much. And one of the things that I learned from this experience, and sometimes it does take you know, a, a, a many, many decades to learn lessons in life, I've always, we've always heard our teachers and our instructors preach to us, you know, the more you know about history, the more it's easy to understand the period of time that you're in. And boy, if this uh, episode of going to the UAE in the aftermath of the Abraham Accords was not an indication of that, because as you had uh, prepared us privately, and then of course we discussed publicly on the air, you can't just look at the last 80, 90, 100 years in isolation compared to the rest of Jewish history with other religions. you got to go back and look at the entire larger picture, and I think that's one of the messages we brought back, that if you look at the larger picture, we're talking about a completely new world right now. Yeah, you know, as a, as a community, Jews are... I, I, it's a little bit of a disadvantage on that, and I think it was because of relatively good intentions. You know, I think from the religious side, we had religious instructors over the years who wanted to focus on Limudei Kodesh, they wanted to do that, so they didn't want to have, like, if you go to your average more Haredi or even even more Orthodox yeshiva, you're not going to have a Jewish history course. Right. Uh, and then on the secular side, there's a very famous story of David Ben-Gurion when they approached him uh, from the education ministry and saying, you know, can we create a Jewish history program for the Israeli schools? This is in 1949 or 1950. And he said, what's there to say? Uh, we'll have a one-sentence one history lesson. We were oppressed for 2,000 years. Now we're back in Israel. Go play soccer now. I mean, so from both the secular and the religious side, we've had a little bit of a disadvantage. And I think it was good intentions on both sides. I don't think it was a you know revisionist history or an attempt to erase knowledge. It was just a focus on the now and a focus on what they felt was a higher priority. But you're so right. I mean, if you don't understand, I mean, you know, the Jewish people have really started the whole recorded history business, when you think about it. And for us to sort of gloss over anything previous to the last hundred years or so is really a big mistake. You know, for us to you know, look at biblical history, then skip over to maybe 1900, that's not a good idea. We really need to know more about where we've been and, and how other people have interacted with us during that. Time. And just to give everyone the bigger picture here, what, what we're talking about, and again, those who are tuned in, I think, got this message, is that, again, no fault of anybody involved, if you grow up in what we call the Yeshiva League, right to left, uh, here in the New York area, or probably anywhere in the United States, uh, we have uh, been inundated with 20th century history about all who hate us, including what we perceived as the majority or all of the Arab world. And again, not blaming anybody, that's just the context of the way the 20th century worked. And you reminded us both before the trip, and then I had a chance to remind everybody during the trip, that this, what's happening in Dubai, what's happening in Bahrain, etc., is not an exception when it comes to the bigger picture in history. There have been many, many times that both with Christians and with uh, members of the Muslim faith, that Jewish communities got along very, very well, especially when it comes to Islam. You know, we went to the UAE, and one of the things, and today's a fast day, so it's funny I'm bringing this up. Uh, we went to the UAE, and one of the things we, we learned that, that, that it's, it's really not coincidence nor uh, something to gloss over that the multiple prayer sessions per day and, and fasting being part 
of our tradition and what you can or can't eat meat-wise is important to both. The fact that all of those apply in some way to both religions needs to be put into context. It's not just a coincidence. That's right. And, you know, it's something that is very much on the minds of most Muslims I've ever known. You know, when I was in grad school, we had our first day in grad school. This was at Northwestern 26, 27 years ago. And they gave little bios for everyone from our incoming class, and mine included some of my Jewish background, of course. And uh, a Muslim woman came over to me and immediately said, you know, there's a lot of similarities. You know, that was the first thing she said. Just, it, it, and and I, that was the experience I've had ever since. There's huh. a real uh, effort on a lot of Muslims, especially if they're involved in any way in the secular world, to seek out those who have similar practices and similar, uh, you know, customs. And uh, to me, that is something that has been constant throughout, and I heard that a lot during your, your broadcast. It's important to understand, obviously, the Rambam was interested in that, and that's one of the reasons why he was so enamored of, or at least was more admiring of uh, Muslim culture at the time of his life. Um, And, you know, this all has to be tempered. Obviously, there have been ups and there's downs. You know, whenever you and I say something like this, there's going to be someone who really wants to emphasize the negative moments. And I don't think we should quiet those people and say we're not going to listen to you. Understood. Look, look, we we, we saw what happened this week in Israel. I mean, you know, (laughs) the reality is there are people who literally want to take rocks and smash the skulls of Jews, unfortunately. We learned that lesson, you know, and and we have to keep that in mind. By the way, I was thinking about this really, really early this morning um, in in the context of our conversation. Is there a way to, with all this in mind and with my friends from Iran who (laughs) claim that growing up in Iran was similar to my experience in the UAE, meaning they played soccer with the non-Jewish Islamic kids and they had neighbors who were very friendly and there was respect, mutual respect, business dealings, etc. Assuming that it's, it's, it's the same or at least similar to the experience I had in the UAE, is there a way to, to sum up where things went wrong, what the 78-79 revolution, what, what, it, what, what was going wrong in that country that it created revolutionaries who wanted major change and that unfortunately created this 40-year disaster over there in Iran? Well, yeah, I mean, 70, you had a very corrupt government in Iran. Now, there, have been, there were corrupt governments throughout the Arab world, and the Muslim world, obviously, because the Iranians are not Arabs, we should point that out. Right. Um, but the difference was that you had a... You had many years of a more open society in Iran, and that allowed for all kinds of people who could take advantage of the freedoms that they had there. In other words, we keep thinking about, well, freedom of the press and openness, that's always going to lead to good things. Well, I would argue that sometimes you have to be careful with that. Look what's happening in China. For years we've been told if we just open up to China, uh, they'll eventually become more democratic and open. And actually, it feels like they've started to import their, especially with our tech companies, they've started to import, import totalitarianism over to us. And I think what happened in Iran was that. Now, what happened also was Iran was a direct result of the fall of Egypt as far as the leading enemy of Israel. The, you would not have had the Iranian Revolution if it had not been for the Egypt-Israel Peace Accord. Wow. And, and now, now, there were good things about it, but as also we've spoken about, the failure of the Israel, Egypt-Israel Peace Accord to be uh, translated as a positive thing throughout the Muslim world, unlike what we're seeing with what's going on in Dubai and the Bahrain, Bahrain peace deals and other peace deals we've talked about. The, it, it came off in the Muslim world as a total pay, as a total sort of cop out by Egypt, as a weakness on their part, and that somebody somewhere had to take up the Islamist cause somewhere because Egypt is very important. Egypt is the birthplace of the Muslim Brotherhood, which is 
the, the parent organization, the seedling organization of every Islamist genocidal Islamic group. There so, are a lot of them I know. I know Al-Qaeda, Hezbollah, right. all, those, all those groups. The Muslim Brotherhood, even though it's mostly, you know, it was a Sunni organization, even the Shia Islamist groups come from the Muslim Brotherhood, which was very much an Egyptian entity. So if the, Mus- so if the Iranian Revolution wouldn't have worked, and excuse the, you know, a, a pedestrian way I put that, yeah. but if it wouldn't have worked, then what would have happened? There would have been a peace deal with Israel, and who would have taken upon that, themselves that mantle that you just described? Well, you know, then, I mean, again, now you're really dealing with the butterfly effect. Who knows what else happened right. if you go back in time? Right. I don't know if there would have been that many great opportunities otherwise. What really needed to be fixed was the way that Egypt and Israel related to each other, and way Egypt related to itself. Egypt still has, Egypt still, you know, for, for all, most of our lives, Egypt was the most important Arab country because it had the strongest military and it had the largest population. And it was next door yeah. to Israel. Yes. Right. It also had the largest, uh, popu- it has the largest illiteracy rate, still does in that mm. part of the world. Right. Um, it had so much, you know, a tremendous amount of natural resources and, and that gateway to, you know, to, into the other, from one continent to the next, and, you know, blew all those opportunities. And it still is it to some extent, however, because Saudi Arabia so much holds the financial purse strings of Egypt now, Egypt is much more reasonable than it's ever been, but it still has a problem. It is nowhere near democracy. It is nowhere near really dealing with some of the very radical anti-Jewish, anti-Israel elements within Egypt, like Saudi Arabia is dealing with it inside of their country. And for, to me, that, has been, that was a real issue, and that is one of the things that really turned what had been um, smaller groups of terrorist groups, smaller groups of genocidal Islamists that were in and out of and, and suddenly you had an entire country that became Islamist in Iran right. because that peace agreement angered uh, was not explained correctly and was not enforced correctly in a, in a political and a cultural way in Egypt, like we're seeing with Dubai. That we're seeing such a cultural change because Egypt did not do that or felt like the government was too weak to do so. You had you had something like Iran. I thought it was inevitable to happen. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listeners sponsored digital radio around the world. The web at NahumSiegel.com and the NahumSiegel Network, and of course on the beloved NSN app. Jake Novak's with us at Jake Jake NY on Twitter at Jake. Jake and why? One more question on this, and there are other topics I got to get to, but I, I just have to ask you. So, if the first point you brought up when I asked that question about Iran was co- a corrupt government, is that essentially? And I know all the other factors you just mentioned, but is that essentially the big difference between them in those years and now Dubai today? Because it was described to us by really prominent business people, both Emiratis and foreigners, that that's the big advantage in Dubai is that the government has great concern for the population and they're trying to manage the funds responsibly. Am I giving too much credit to the kingdom in Dubai, or is uh, or is that accurate? Well, not compared to the Shah of Iran. I mean, the, the Shah of Iran was an out-and-out kleptocrat, and he also wasn't that smart. I mean, look, let's put it this way. I mean, I hate to be tough on the guy, you know, but he really was very, very – he had a tremendously deaf ear to what was going on in his country for many years, even before the Ayatollah started to uh, – you know, he had been in exile in France, and he started, you know, causing problems there. Um, the, 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 it's amazing the, that that is the biggest contrast. Forget you know you don't, if you don't if it's if it's hard to define exactly what corruption is, then let's let's use this as a definition. The Emirati ruling family is not looking to just steal all the money for itself, right. and is very very attuned and is very, really has its ear to the ground to what it's people. And I don't think they always do what everyone on the street wants. Right, but they buy, but they get the, but they get the big picture. Yeah, and they're very involved. They're out there. I mean, you know, the Shah of Iran was. Totally inaccessible. He was, you know, his, his children. And his children weren't even in the country. One of the, one of the reasons why his son escaped the whole thing is because right. he was 
at the Air Force Academy as a visiting student. I don't know what he was studying, but he was a visiting student at, in, at Colorado Springs. And, you know, so they're, they're very involved. They're very involved in the day-to-day stuff. They're, they're noticeable. You mentioned how they have their picture everywhere. Right. They, they're, they're, they're popular with the people because they are, they're connected to them in a much better way. It's not a democracy. You know, there, there's things that I would like to see improved. There is uh, a lot of government uh, control over certain things. But on the other hand, they don't have a lot of other regulations and taxes, which turns it into much more of a freer city than, than it had been, than, you know, than so many others are, including here in the United States or a lot, in a lot of ways. Right. And the, so, and, so, the, so when the U.S. backed the Shah, that was the bigger problem. In other words, they hated the West, the new group, hated the Ayatollah crowd, hated the West to begin with. But once we showed that we were ready to physically and in other ways support the Shah, then then that was it. That was the that was the, you know, game set match, right? Yeah, and we were trapped into that by the Cold War. And and obviously the Cold War was filled with all kinds of missed opportunities. You know, it was just so you know, when things get solved, we say to ourselves, why did we do this before? You know, right. when Israel, you know, right. the, the reaching out to Saudi Arabia right. and working with them on the security aspect and the economic aspect seems so obvious to us now. I wish right. we had thought about that in 2001. Good point. And the same thing also with the Soviets. And defe- defeating the Soviet Union really was about standing up to them without necessarily get, getting into all these minor wars like right. Korea and Vietnam and things like that. We could have beaten them earlier, and maybe we wouldn't have had to have backed you know, l- lousy people like the Shah, who wasn't even in the top five of the lousy people we had to back in the Cold War, but right. he was—he was close. I mean, he was just really, yeah, honestly, it's even worse than his corruption was his incredible stupidity. The man was completely deaf to a very large company. What country? It wasn't like he was like some small country with a couple of million people. I mean, Iran's a huge country with right. a lot of resources, and he was running it like it was like a, a backdoor operation. You know, like a bookie. It was ridiculous. Good point. Jake Novak with us. Jake Jake and Y on Twitter. Uh, all right, it's no secret um, you didn't have a Saw Young performance when it came to uh, the states in the <laughs> most recent election, but you had a you had a pretty solid, you know, uh, eighteen and ten season, I would say that time. <laughs> um, and boy, and Florida, Florida was like your perfect game, frankly, the way you predicted that one. Um, but with all that in mind, Mr. Novak, what can you tell us about January the fifth? What can you tell us about the state of Georgia? Well, the state of Georgia has, to me, there's no evidence that the problems that have plagued Georgia and a lot of the other states where I believe the results of the election really can't be considered to be the true will of the people. I don't really see them fixing any of those problems. You know, the the two biggest problems with this election, and I know that the, to me there's a really big misdirection with this focus on the voting machines. I don't think there's anywhere to go with that, and I think the, the cases involved with that are not really going to go anywhere for a number of reasons. The real problem, Nachum, is that we had vote by mail, and we have something called ballot harvesting, right. which led to, I think, millions upon millions of fraudulent votes. And even if they didn't, let's say you have some listeners here who are very offended by that comment, very upset, and it's the kind of thing that, that gets, you know, that, that'll get you censored on social media if you say that line that I just said. Let me just put it this way. Even if you think that every one of those votes was legitimate, it clearly was a violation of a very important principle in every democratic society, which is the secret ballot. Right. Vote by mail destroys the secret ballot, as does ballot harvesting. Ballot harvesting, to put it very briefly, is when only the Democrats do this. The Democrats go into these neighborhoods, they show people a filled-out ballot, and they basically get them to sign it. Right. If you don't have a secret ballot, you don't have a true democracy, and you don't have a legitimate election. And no one upon no one can deny that we had millions upon millions, probably 20 million at least, ballots that were not secret ballots. I think a lot more than that. 
So when you talk about the state of Georgia, I see the same thing. There, apparently, there's already about 800,000 ballot harvested ballots out there. Uh, there's going to be vote by mail. And none of this has been addressed. Now, I thought that the courts would try to thread a needle here and ban this and say, uh, Trump still lost the election, but the way that he lost is completely illegal. I mean, I don't know how they would do that, but listen, that's why they pay these, uh, yeah, that's why these clerks, they don't get paid actually a lot that much. They get paid eventually, they get paid a lot. That's why they go through, you know, that's why they choose in the Supreme Court the top graduates of all the top law schools, because they need smart people to thread these needles and do these legal fictions. But it's very, very discouraging because, as you know, I, I like to look at the stats from previous elections and see where, where they're going. Right. I think anybody worth their salt looking at this election, whether they're happy with the result or not, is going to have to throw out these statistics. It's like looking at those basketball games that that, cor- that corrupt referee 20 years ago right. or 15 years ago got caught. There's nothing to learn from this election, unfortunately, because it was so fouled up, at least – from the secret ballot point of view. Everyone well, has well, to agree on that. Well, then, based on what you just said, it sounds like you're ready to concede the state of Georgia and the Senate's now going to be a Democratic Senate. I, 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 w- I, I really see it as a tough, tough hill for the Republicans to climb, espe- climb, especially since there isn't a tremendous amount of... I don't know if there's going to be a lot of Election Day enthusiasm, which is where the Republicans have their only shot of overcoming this. But, I mean, really, to me, I just don't understand why there wasn't more of a... I know there were a lot of there were court cases filed to try to stop some of the wider vote by mail stuff, but they needed to do more than that. Sadly, I think they needed to do more. If the Democrats were out in the streets canvassing, then they needed to be out in the streets identifying to the authorities, here's where the ballots are. Let's have them impound. We're not going to destroy them. We're not going to cause any violence. We're not going to do anything else like that. But let's impound them until a court can decide whether they're valid. Let's not count them at all until that happens. And they didn't do that, and I don't think they're doing that in Georgia. So I don't see how they come out ahead unless this fraud is out there. I mean, as I said to everyone across the country the entire year this year was that I expected Trump to win the election, with the one caveat being I don't know how much fraud there's going to be. And, and that's the thing. I don't know how much fraud there's going to be in Georgia, but it seems like there's going to be a lot. Oh, boy, I'll tell you, for those of us who really love America, it's so sad that uh, that there's so much, uh, at the minimum, accusations, but who knows just how much fraud there really is when it comes to these Democratic elections or what we hope would be Democratic elections. Finally, Jake, um, tell me the significance to you both historically and in 2020 when you read an article that Israel is prepared to build a 120-story building. <laughs> well, you know, the first thing that I think about is just the architectural aspect of it. They, they always told us when you would go to visit Israel, even as a little kid, that they actually had the capacity because of, the, I guess, the bedrock there, whatever it was, that they could build tall buildings there. But And then, you, of course, you had the issue of security. You know, right. Well, we don't want to build such large buildings because they would be such a, an obvious target for right. people. Um, that shows that Israel is... It's a significant economic achievement, first and foremost. Let's not forget that. It's a major economic This is a country that can get the financing for this kind of thing. You know, every large building that you see in Manhattan, no one really owns. And a ton of people have like a, have a, have a piece of that pie because it's just so expensive to do. And, you know, whoever's name on it, it probably only has a small percentage. So that's one thing. But the second thing is, yes, the, the, the security that comes from all this. You know, these missile tests, I think this is one of the top stories in the world over the last month that no one covered, almost no one, almost no one covered. The successful missile tests that Israel conducted a couple of weeks ago that show a combination of David's sling, the arrow missiles, and uh, Iron Dome are now able to take out cruise missiles, which, understand, has been 
Hezbollah and Iran's, one of their major projects, if not the major anti-Israel military project over the last 10 years, it's, it's totally negated it, or at least really, really weakened it. So I don't think that you go ahead and do this without some major confidence in the military protection aspect of this, and that is really a, a, a fantastic achievement. And again, remember, it's an economic and military achievement. Uh, if they somehow found a way to grow the building with their agriculture, then it would be a true symbol of everything Israel has accomplished because it would be a combination of those three things, the economic, technical uh, stuff, the defense stuff, and the agricultural cutting edge stuff. Those are all the three great pillars of achievement of is- that Israel has established. So they, I kind of maybe they'll have a greenhouse in the building it, they can put it all together. It would be funny if they asked them how they're building the building and say, "Yeah, we have the dirt and water to do this. Yeah, Don't worry, yeah. we got plenty of it." Yeah, drip uh, irrigation. Jake, love having you on. Thanks for everything, and uh, thanks for joining us this morning. Good Shabbos, everyone. Thank you. Shabbat so much. Shalom, and thank you so much. Is right. Uh, Jake, Jake NY at Jake, Jake NY on Twitter. Jake Novak. I always used to uh, hear from people that if you want, um, if you want to understand something, uh, make sure you hear it from a great Balmaz beer. Make sure you hear it from someone who has the ability to really explain things well. It's one of the reasons I enjoy speaking to him so much. Quarter after eight o'clock Friday morning on this JM in the AM, fifty-seven degrees, showers, and a high of fifty-seven. We're going to drop like a rock temperature-wise. We're going all the way down to. 28 degrees later tonight. Uh, it's Asara Bateves on this era of Shabbos Parshas Vayigash. Hope you're fasting well. The fast ends here with Kiddush after 5.20 p.m. Candle lighting officially in New York, 4.14 p.m. For many around the world, Asara Bateves is um, the day chosen, and I believe the government and the Rabbanut of Israel actually made this official, if I'm not mistaken. For many, Asara Bateves, the 10th of Teves, was the day chosen as the yard site for those who fell in the Shoah, whose yard site was unknown. So we will dedicate, or by Yudin's words this morning, of course, to the six million, as we remember uh, uh, those who are being memorialized today and whose yard site is being observed on the 10th of Teves. This time each every Friday morning, every Erev Shabbos, with great pleasure we present Rabbi Benjamin Yudin, spiritual leader emeritus, Rab- um, Congregation Shomri Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. Good morning, Rabbi Yudin. Good morning, Nachum. Good Arab Shabbos, everybody. Tomorrow you have the privilege of reading Parshas Vayigash. Parshas Vayigash is an especially emotional parsha, which, please God, I hope we'll get to in a moment. Today, as we know, is Asara Bateves, the 10th day of the 10th month, starting with Nisan, Teves is the 10th month, and it is a fast. We're fasting today because, as we find in the Navi Yecheskel, chapter 24, Pasuk 2, the Navi Yecheskel was in Bavel because he had earlier received Nevuah, prophecy, in the land of Israel. He was privileged to be able to have continued nevuah in Bavel. And here it was on the 10th of Teves, and he received a prophecy from Hashem saying, tell the people to write down this day, to note that this is the day right now that Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Bavel, is placing a siege around Yerushalayim. And so, months later, when runners came from Israel to tell the tragic news that 
the siege had been placed, and they asked, when was it? You got it. The Navis, having told them to write down on this very day, they knew that it was, number one, on that day. Clearly, this was, unfortunately, God's doing, and this was the beginning of the end, when we could have, should have learned, as we'll see in a moment, from the event. The Avu Draham, <coughs> in his commentary on the Siddur, writes that because of those words, number one, we're fasting today on a Friday. We never fast on a Friday. When Purim falls out on a Sunday, and that means the 14th of Adar is on a Sunday, so we should fast when? The 13th. But that Shabbos, can't fast on Shabbos. So let's fast on Friday. No, you don't fast on Friday, Erev Shabbos. How, and we fast then on Thursday. However, Asura B'Tevis is different. Because of those words, on this very day, and writes the Avud that if Asura B'Tevis would fall out on a Shabbos, we would fast on Shabbos. We know that it never can, never will. However, the Chassam Sofer, I remind everybody, keep in mind that this morning, what we should have had in mind, and please God, at Mincha today, when we daven Shmona Esrei, at Mincha today, daven much slower. Today is the day we are mispaleo, literally, sheyabana beis amigdosh. But don't wait until the very end and you're taking your three steps back to say, please God, Hashem, give us back the beis amigdosh. Go to the Shemona Esrei, and when you have the brachos of Tekah Bishofa Gadol Echei then you're basically asking Hashem and know what you're praying for. You're saying, Hashem, please blow that great shofar and bring us in together. We cannot wait, please God, Hashem, to return to Yerushalayim. And... Please send us Moshiach. This is what we are to focus on, especially in our davening today, because today is the day, writes the Chassam Sofa, that Hashem decides with His celestial court upstairs as to whether or not the third base of Migdash, which we will have, the only question is when, if and when it's going to be, please God, uh, brought this, built this coming year. I just want to begin with the Rambam at the beginning of chapter 5 of Hilchos Tanios, and he writes, and I translate just to save time, there are days that all Israel fasts because of the sorrows of the tragedies that occurred in order to arouse our hearts, that we should open our hearts to the ways of tshuva, of repentance, and it should be a clear reminder to us regarding changing our ways which are not yet correct, not yet perfect, to change our bad ways, and Ma'asei avoseinu, to remind ourselves of the actions of our forefathers. Shayokim ma'asenu ato, 
We're no better than them. And that's what caused us these sorrows. As I mentioned, they could have, should have. Now, it's easy for us to criticize them. But let's not look at them. We are going to, please God, look at ourselves in a few minutes and realize how we could and should learn from Asura Bateves. Now, let's understand and try to tie the obvious connection between Asura Bateves and Parshas Vayigash. Now, again, let's take a step back. In the opening slichos for Asura Bateves, we made mention that this month of Teves, the Jewish people received three klap, three patch. What was the first Puranios, the first tragedy that occurred, which was this past Wednesday on the 8th of Teves. That's the day that Talmai Hamelech, the Greek king, ordered, assembled 70 Jewish scholars, not telling them for what purpose he was gathering them, put them each in a room, and had them translate the Torah into Greek. The Gemara in Megillah, Daft Tes Amar Aleph, teaches us that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave each of these 70 scholars, Tamidei Chachomim, special Ruach HaKodesh, divine inspiration, and they all changed what could have been how a non-Jew would take the Torah literally, such as the very first three words of the Torah. Come on, translate. Beratius, Bara Elohim. Bara is to create, Elohim is God. God forbid that question, who created God? Well, there's the answer. Beratius created God. So rather than write Beratius, Bara Elohim, they wrote and translated Elohim as the first word God in the beginning of his creation, creating heaven and earth. So there were many, many changes. Now, what was so bad about changing? and translating the Torah into Greek. So, clearly, number one, we know that the Torah is understood on many different levels. There's pshat, there's remez, there's drash, there's sod, many different ways in which to understand the Torah. Unfortunately, when you give a translation, you are limiting. And Kolokavo to Art Scroll that had the incredible challenge and responsibility to our generation for translating. But look what they do. They give you constantly all the other sources and give you the idea that what you have now is just one level of understanding and interpretation. And so that was on Wednesday, the 8th, yesterday, the 9th, was Ezra Sofer's yurt site, the one that oversaw the building of the second base on Migdash, and today is the 10th of Teves when they actually laid the siege. Now watch. Let's go to the parsha whereby Yosef, what was his intent? Brilliant. Yosef framed Binyamin. For what purpose? Number one, to see if the brothers would go home and leave him there, and to do to Binyamin what they did to him. And second of all, his primary concern is, says the Ramban, to now have 
the second of his dreams fulfilled. The first dream was fulfilled that all the eleven brothers bowed down to him when Binyamin came down. But what's the second dream? That the son, who is Yaakov Avinu, and the stars, the brothers, are going to bow down to him. He has to get Yaakov down to bow down to him. And therefore, the sweetest way of bringing Yaakov down would be for him to save Binyamin, who Yosef wanted to hold as hostage. However, the Torah tells us that Yosef could not hold back. Right? The Torah says that Yosef could not restrain himself. And the rest, as we know, is history. I'd like to take a look at one Pasuk with you in this revealing of himself to his brothers. Take a look at chapter 45, verse 14, where the Torah says that Yosef fell on the necks of Binyamin, his brother, al-tzavrei Binyamin o'chiv, and he cried, u'vinyamin b'cho al-tzavorov, and Binyamin cried on Yosef's neck. What didn't you understand? It's such an emotional moment. Two brothers, same father, same mother, who had not seen each other in a little more than 20 years. Of course they're going to cry. It's a very emotionally packed moment. So what didn't you understand that you need Rashi? Ah, and this is one of the reasons, like I told you, that by the translation of the Greeks, they, they miss out and they say, this is Torah, come on. But we know that there's so much more. And the answer, says Rashi, is the word savre is neck in the plural. Now, how many necks does Binyamin have? So Rashi says it refers to the two Bate Migdash, as we find in Shir Hashirim, in chapter 4, Pasuk 4, that the base Hamigdash is compared to the Tzavor, is compared to the neck, just as the neck is in the um, high part of the person's anatomy, right? So too, the base Hamigdash is literally the uh, top and the crown of our um, peoplehood, and this is expressed by Shlomo HaMelech in chapter 4 of Shira Shirim Kimigdal David Savoreich. The Savor refers to the Beis Migdosh. So now, Yosef is crying on the two necks, meaning for the two Beis Migdosh that they saw at that moment there. Of course it's emotional, but it's much deeper, and it goes beyond, because we, we don't simply have stories, narratives. Once again, what you have are lessons and prophecies. That's why this constitution is so different from every other constitution in the world, that within it comes not only the story of our peoplehood, as it was, but please God, the story of the future of our peoplehood. Here we have the destruction of the two Bate Migdosh and Binyamin crying on Yosef for Mishkan Shiloh, which was in uh, the Mishkan until the Beis Migdosh was built 369 years in Shiloh. So you have, number one, the past, 
But now, let's take it one step beyond. If you open up the Navi Zachariah, bring it to the table tonight. Zachariah chapter 8, Pusik 19. Ko Amar Hashem says the Navi Zachariah, this is what Hashem has said. Now watch. Tzom the fast of the fourth month, which is the month of Tammuz, the 17th of Tammuz. Tzom HaChamishi, the fast of the fifth month, which is Tisha B'Av. Tzom Ashvi, the fast of the seventh month, which is Tzom Gedalia. And Tzom Asiri, which is the fast of Asor B'Teves. Today, the Navi promises, strong word, it will be for the house of Judah, for the Jewish people, please God, in the future. It's going to be for happiness and for joy. And it's going to be a yantif. These days are going to be a yom tov. This is something that I'm not sure. This is something that we are positive of. Every Shabbos we say, V'davar echad midvarecha, ochor lo yashuv reikam. Not a single word of the prophecies of the prophets are something that we question. And as we know, the Rambam has 13 basic principles of faith. And what is the sixth of the Anima Min? So the Rambam writes, Anima Min, Be'emuno Shlemo, Shekol Divrei Nevi'im Emes. Not most, or I'm not sure, maybe yet. No, Be'emuno Shlemo, I believe with complete and perfect faith that all the words of the prophet are true. And therefore, Asura Bateves is going to be a holiday. But keep the Pasuk open in front of you. Three more words. There's a rider here. There's a catch. There's a qualification. Says the Navi Zachariah. He tells the Jewish people, truth and peace you shall love. And this is what we have to learn from the lesson of Asura Bateves. They did not learn from the circumstance that was going on in front of them. They didn't learn from the siege. We have to learn from COVID. And among the many lessons that we learn is that what we do personally affects others. One Chinaman, think about it, who had COVID spread it to the whole world. The Talmud teaches us Our rabbis teach us that what a Jew does in one place doesn't only affect him, doesn't only affect his immediate environment, but it affects the whole world. This is what we see. Not only Yosef, that it was so obvious how he changed Mitzrayim, how he had an effect on the whole world, but each and every one of us has to start with themselves. Emes v'asholom ahevu. One has to be honest with oneself. One knows that there are certain deficiencies. None of us are yet perfect. I know I should give more tzedakah. I know I should reach out to others. I know I should be there for my spouse and family. I know, I know, I know I should 
learn more Torah. I know, I know, but I have a lot of excuses. And Asura Bateves is a day that says, stop, stop the excuses and be honest with yourself. And when you are honest with yourself, guess what? Then you're going to have the greatest shalom. Then you're going to have the inner peace. Because right now, without it, with all the many, I know, I know the deficiencies, we lack that inner peace as well. And so, my prayer is that we're going to dive in a little stronger this afternoon because the fact that today is Asura Bateves. And we're going to take the lesson to heart. And we're going to realize that I start with myself, but what I do doesn't only affect me, but what I do affects the entire nation of Israel. Shabbat Shalom to all.
Oh. 
Rosa de Shabbos, Chazen Yanki Lemmer. Wow. Amazing, huh? As I mentioned earlier, today's Asar Bateves, and for many, it is the um, it is the accepted date for the yard site for those who um, who perished in the Holocaust for whom we don't know the exact date that their lives were taken. So Asar Bateves is chosen uh, as the uh, default date, I guess we would say, to put it in today's language. Uh, for the art site. So many art sites being observed today, and we dedicate that Raza de Shabbos to the uh, 6 million who uh, gave their lives because of the because of the um, the um, the fact that they were born Jewish. Simple as that. That is why they were they were murdered. Friday morning on this Hassar Bateves morning. Hope your fast is going well. In New York, it goes till 520. You could say Kiddush after 520 here in New York. And that's how the fast ends with Kiddush. Candle lighting officially at 414, a special mincha service, of course, for a fast day later on, whether you're doing it earlier in the day or if you're doing it just before Shabbos, whatever the case may be. And um, thanks to all of you for tuning in to JM in the AM. Great weekend programming, as you would suspect. Matis has JM Sunday all set for Sunday at 7 a.m. live, 7 a.m. live Eastern time here at the Nahum Siegel Network. Um, tomorrow night it's Saturday Night Seagull with Avrami and Rabbi Eliezer Zwickler. Coming up this morning here at uh, JM and the AM and the Nachum Siegel Network, once this program ends, um, let's see, let me get the exact schedule. Once this program ends, Naomi Nachman has table for two. Today it's Rebetzin Shachar Bunin from Chabad of Venice, Susie Fishbein. Uh, from Meet My Needs, Su- excuse me, Susie Fishman from Meet My Needs and Vera Newman, the Marble Spoon Cookbook. They're all together for one big show between 9 and 10. Naomi Nachman hosts, and that's table for two. The Arab Shabbos Show with Mark Zamek, presented by our friends at Kedem. That happens at 10 a.m. Eastern Time. The Arab Shabbos Music Mix, all day long, sponsored by our friends at Kedem. And then again, Saturday Night Seagull tomorrow night, JM Sunday on Sunday. Make sure to be tuned in all weekend long to the Nahum Siegel Network. You'll be glad you did. There's plenty of great programming and wonderful music for uh, for the weekend, that is for sure. Candle lighting at 414, as we said, in this portion of NSN programming, brought to you by our friends at A&H. Abels and Hyman makes traditional kosher delicacies, pastrami, corned beef, salami, and more. Old world classics, beef fry, kishka, and more. And modern, better-for-you kosher products, including no-nitrate-added, reduced-fat, and reduced-sodium hot dogs, plus many other unique items. Visit the website, kosherdogs.net. Enjoy a 10% discount with promo code RADIO and try A&H today. Yeah. Good idea to try A&H today, believe you me. Very good idea. Those of you who uh, haven't tried it yet, you're in for a... Uh, a wonderful experience that I could tell you. Um, let's see here. Uh, we've got this one from uh, Relax Project Relax with Avremo, Avram Fried and Company, here at JM in the AM.
J.M. in the A.M. That is Avramel, Avram Freed from Project Relax here at J.M. in the A.M. As we uh, get set to wrap up the week, and I thank all of you for tuning in, I anticipate and hope that everybody has an easy fast. Please, God, on this Asar Bateves. Remember, the fast will end with Kiddush at 5.20 p.m. in the New York area. Fast ends with Kiddush about 5.20 p.m., uh, not before that. And to make sure to uh, make sure to uh, participate in the special mincha service for a fast day as well. Naomi Nachman is coming up next with Table for Two here at the Nachum Siegel Network, and of course, plenty more as you would suspect. It's time to say good Shabbos with Journeys at Jam in the Am. Spend the day together with the whole 
Our brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web at NachumSegal.com and the NachumSegal Network. And, of course, on the beloved NSN app. Wraps up an amazing week for us here at JM and the AM. And I thank you all for tuning in. Asar Bateves today in the New York area. Another eight, uh, eight plus hours to the fast, which ends with Kiddush. Um, tune into great programming. Table for Two is brand new with Naomi Nachman next. Mark Zamek and the Arab Shabbos Show brought to you by our friends at Kedem. Arab Shabbos Music Mix brought to you by our friends at Kedem. Tomorrow night, Saturday night, Sigal with Avrami and Rabbi Eliezer Zwickler. Sunday morning, it's Matis with JM Sunday. Hey, you're with NSN. You're well taken care of. Trust me. Have a wonderful Shabbos. Great weekend. Easy fast, everybody. Till Monday, Nachum Sigal reminding you, remember the past, live the present, and trust the future.